Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, uh, we thank you once again for this opportunity today to come together as the church. And whether it's through all of the different internet sources, the different media that we're coming together, Lord, or for the, uh, the couple of people that are scattered here in the, the sanctuary, Lord, we look forward to what you're gonna do. And God, we thank you. We thank you today, Lord, that you have given us your word. And in some ways, Lord, we thank you that that early church messed up so we could read and understand, Lord, where we need to change our lives or we need to live differently and react differently. So I pray you would bless this time. I pray that you'd give us insight for our, how we're conducting ourselves and, and Lord, with one another and how we're conducting ourselves in, in this difficult time and the things that are happening to us and happening around us that, that, Lord, maybe sometimes we agree with, sometimes we don't agree with. But God, I pray most of all, that, Lord, we would shine brightly for Jesus Christ, that in the midst of this time that, God, you would be exalted and you would be raised high in our lives. So, Lord, we ask that you minister to our hearts right now. Feed us spiritually so that we can be strong. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you remember when we kind of began, uh, I know when we began the whole study of Galatians and James, we talked about it's all about faith and real faith. But James here is focusing on us growing up as Christians. And I think that's important. Listen, I think we should grow up. And I think we should be mature, and it's a bad thing when we're, we're, we're kind of not mature, and we're, we're you know, I, I mentioned uh, before that, hey, toddlers, I love being around toddlers, but I don't really like being around, you know, 40-year-olds that are acting like toddlers. That's not cool. So James is wanting us to mature in the faith, and as we've been reading this, listen, man, he addressed issues of the tongue. He's addressed issues of the heart. He's talked about walking with him. He's talking about wisdom, how we apply wisdom the way we find wisdom and then last time we left off where he's talking about these wars and strife and stuff coming along and he's continuing that thing but bottom line it's all about this are you focusing on Jesus or are you focusing on yourself are you thinking it's all about you are you somebody who hey you know what I and I've said it many times I'm always on my mind and I get that but what are you focusing on and as you're walking through, especially when we walk through hard situations, who are you relying on? Who are you depending on? And James is gonna kind of bust us out this morning. And you know, what I love about James is he's a, like he's a hard hitter. He's a truth teller. He's not gonna, listen, he's not gonna make it easy for anybody. It's not like you can read the book of James and go, well, that was kind of nice. You read the book of James and you do one of two things. You either repent and change your heart or you throw your Bible across the room. It's one of the two things that are gonna happen because, hey, he's confrontive and he's hitting us where it hurts where we live so today as we look at this here's what here's the bottom line of today uh, of what we're looking at you ready for it it's deep you're not all that that's the bottom line and and that's what he wants us to understand and he wants us to get a hold of so let's look here as he begins in verse 11 well you know in verse in verse 10 well verse 9 well maybe verse 8 well, we'll just do 10. In verse 10, listen, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And then it goes right into, and I don't like some of these breaks sometimes because I think this connects with that. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. 
He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge a law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. So here's what, here's what I want us to notice as we begin this. One thing is we come right out of humble yourself into an attitude that is extremely dangerous and shows those who do not humble themselves. It's almost the exact opposite. But in that, in this section here, in verse 11, I want us to take note of one thing. He says brother three times. I don't think that's a mistake. He's saying, hey, we're family. And if we're family, why are you talking evil about your brother? And why are you doing that? Why are you going along and, and quote, you know, you become the judge, you become the authority, and you're speaking evil of another brother. Now, from this, here's the way I take it. He's not talking about confronting someone about sin. He's not talking about talking to somebody about their actions and what's going on. I, I believe, listen, I believe we should be doing that. And, you know, a lot of people might use verse 11 or, you know, they love, they love, I love the people that love Matthew, you know, chapter 7, judge not lest you be judged. And, you know, they, they go to all of that. I, he's not talking about that here. Oh, by the way, they love in Matthew 7, right? You can't judge people. Get the plant, you know, you got this big old honking, you know, four by four sticking out of your eye and you're trying to get the speck out of my eye. And they always quote that, but they never quote the finish of that. Matthew goes on to say, first remove the four by four so you can see clearly to help your brother. So having said all of that, that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about this. When we sit in corners, and I'm looking at guys because they're all in corners. So when we sit in corners, and, we, and usually we sit in corners with groups of people, like we have two people in the sound booth, and they're back there doing this. Not, not those two guys. But hey, people get together, and what do they do, man? And they start talking, and, and, and what are they doing? They're usually talking evil about a brother. He goes, why are you doing that? And it's, and I love it. When I walk up, it's, and I always go, hey, what were, you, what were you just talking about? Nothing, nothing at all. Well, why did you be quiet? Nothing. We weren't talking about anything. And James is saying, hey, when you do that, listen carefully. He says, when you do that, he says, when you're doing that, you all of a sudden have made yourself a judge over the law. That's intense when he's talking about that. All of a sudden, and here's what he's saying, you've elevated yourself to deity. And he says, shouldn't be doing that. That's just not right. He says, you're not a doer of the law. You're a judge of the law. And hey, trust me, there's enough of the world that judges the law. And, and listen, I don't think he's talking about the law, the Ten Commandment law. I think he's talking about this law. What did Jesus say? Love your brother. Love your neighbor as yourself. Care for one another. Jesus commanded us to live together as brothers. And he says, that's the law that you're judging. Here's what you're saying. I don't believe in that law. So-and-so's a jerk. I don't like so-and-so. And you know what is sad? Why don't you go to so-and-so and tell them? 
and kind of work things out and have dialogue and et cetera. So listen, he says that and, and he says, listen, now you're not a doer of the law, but you're a judge there in, in verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? So listen, man, he says, hey, you guys, there's one lawgiver and, and uh, what, who are you to think you can judge another person. Again, not judge in the sense of confronting someone about sin. I think we're called to do that, discernment. I think we're called to have that. Jesus even tells us, man, hey, you gotta check fruit if you're gonna follow somebody and, and interact with somebody. So he's not talking about that. He's talking about, hey, you have decided that person is anathema and you've made them anathema. He goes, you shouldn't be doing that. Do not do that. You have replaced God as the one who is judging people. I, I like to put it like this. You have suddenly decided that you have become the Holy Spirit. And God is going to use you to judge other people and to take care of other people. Saints, let me ask you something. Is God big enough to take care of people? Is God big enough to convict them of their sin? Is God knowledgeable enough to know what's going on in their lives to take care of them? I think so. I think he's pretty good at that. I, I know he's good about that in my life, and I think he's good about that in other people's lives. Why do we think we have to take the place of God in people's lives and try and fix them? And, and listen, man, I think this is important that we would understand this and, and just kind of hide that in our heart and go, you know what, man? 11 and 12 is the opposite of 10. 10 tells me I need to humble myself. 11 and 12 tell me this. I think I'm all that. And I think I'm that person and, and I'm doing great. And we kind of puff our chest out and do things. And he says, you need to stop it. Oh, and then to me, it gets a little bit worse because as your chest is pumped out, uh, pumped, or pushed out there and you're all pumped up, then you do this, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. So here's what he's saying, man. You begin to act like you're in control of things and you've got it all together. By the way, if you think you're God, that's what you think. And then he goes, listen, he says, he says you make these plans and obviously he's using an illustration of a, of, of a, of a, uh, of a, a person who would have to travel about selling things, taking care of things. But I think it's just the illustration. He's not against salesmen. Some people go, see? God doesn't like salesmen, especially used car salesmen. No, that's not what it's about. Here's what it's about. It's about thinking you're in control of things and about thinking you are the one who is gonna make things happen. And you know what, man? The longer I'm alive, the lesser I think I'm in control of things. And I, listen, I'm learning to trust God. So here's, here's, here's the way I look at it. He says, this person is self-confident and they, you know, their, their cal calendar app is the end all be all because they've got it on their calendar. That's gonna happen and they named the time. Or I'm sorry, first of all, yeah, they start with the time. Tomorrow I'm gonna do that. Then the location, I'm gonna go to this city. Then the duration, I'm gonna stay there this long. Then I'm gonna do this enterprise. Then I'm gonna make this profit. And they got it all together and James says, hey, you who say that, he says, do you know that you do not know what's going to happen tomorrow? I believe we might be a little bit more sensitive to what James is saying because of our current situation. In January, 
How many of you thought we'd be doing church like this? Yeah. I don't think any of us imagined. I mean, even, even when the whole virus first broke out in China, we kind of all went, hey, that's China. That's their problem. They need to deal with it. It's so far away. We even kind of maybe even mocked it and made fun of it and, and did certain things. Now all of a sudden, man, it's affecting our lives. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. And even, you know, looking at tomorrow or looking at next weekend, Hey, we're hitting the April 30th deadline, man. I hope that's gonna happen. I hope that's true. But I don't know if it's true, and I'm not gonna make plans unless I first confer, not with Governor Ducey, I'm gonna confer with God. God knows what's going on. God has it together. And you know, Jesus, Jesus spoke to us about this. In Luke chapter 12, he gave this parable. I think a lot of us are familiar with the parable, not the exact uh, phrasing of it, but we're familiar with this. He says, then he then spoke to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and, big, and build bigger and greater, build, uh, build greater, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night you, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will be these things? which you have provided. Verse 21, so he who lays up treasure for himself and is not, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus isn't against planning for the future. Jesus isn't against saving. Jesus is against this, trusting in your stuff rather than trusting in God and putting your faith in the stuff you have gained and the stuff you, you have brought together and not trusting him. That's what this parable's about. Now, I've heard some people say, see, Jesus doesn't want us to have a bank account. See, Jesus doesn't want us to have a retirement fund. He doesn't, no, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about trusting in that stuff and putting our faith in that stuff and not trusting in the Lord. Now look, he goes on the end of that verse 14. He says, for what is your life it is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Now listen, when he says, for what is your life? He's not asking a philosophical question. What is the meaning of life? Here's what he's asking. What is your life? Because you think you're all that. And here's what he says. You're nothing. I know for some people that upsets them, but he goes, you're like that vapor. You know when you go outside on a cold morning? He goes, that's your life. In light of eternity, that's your life. And we need to remember that. Listen, what we have here is so, so, so minor compared to all of eternity that we need to look at it that way. And then we need to carefully number our days here and be careful about it. Most of us, most of us, we count our life by what? What do you count your life by? Birthdays, right? I'm this many years, I, I, I've lived this many years. We celebrate birthdays, we do things about birthdays and everything in our life, you know? It's always interesting to me, every place, you know, when you do anything medically, the first question is, how old are you? Or when were you born? And that's what they wanna know, not just that they have that, that date down, they wanna know how old you are. And we do it by, by years, 
Check out what Psalm 90 says. Psalm 90 says this. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you number your days? You think about each day is a precious gift from God. And each day, listen, I need to invest in today. I need to be somebody who's aware of today and I'm counting on today and I'm investing in it. And then when tomorrow comes, I'm gonna invest in tomorrow and I'm gonna do that. Here's what James is saying, man. You need to realize Jesus could come back at any moment. And, you know, as I always like to say, I'm always praying he'll come back when I'm in the pulpit because I'm usually not sinning when I'm in the pulpit. And that would be wonderful for him to come back. And notice I even use the word usually there. So, hey, but are you living your life like you could come back? Or are you like the guy who has tons of crops? Ah, look, man, I'm going to put it all away and I'm going to have all of this stuff. And I'm relying on my stuff, not my God. He says, you guys... It could be required of you. It might, he might come here tomorrow. And then to me, here's the highlight of what he's been saying for a couple chapters. Maybe the beginning of chapter three. Listen to verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So many of us, do one of two things. We either use that as a cliche. We'll say, hey, I'm gonna do this, God willing, Lord willing. And we've, we've not even prayed about it. We've not even thought about it. We've not even put any time into it. But as long as we, listen, as long as we cover ourselves and put Lord willing at the end of that, that means I'm obedient to verse 15. Verse 15 isn't giving us a little phrase to add to our vocabulary and say, listen, man, it's easy to pick up Christianese, right? I remember before I was saved, I, I, I uh, was going to a Bible study with my wife and I learned all of the Christianese. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, praise the Lord, brother you know, and all of those things, and you say it, and some of us don't even know what we're saying when we're saying it. At least I know I didn't, but I pick it up, and then, and then as believers, sometimes we go, well, God willing, that's what I'm gonna do, and we haven't even prayed about it. James is saying this, are you living your life, listen carefully, according to the will of God? And then the other extreme is there's those who go, well, I don't even know what the will of God is, man. I'm really searching for the will of God, but I don't know what God's will is for my life. And I would really like to know. And, and hey, I've talked about it before, and, and you guys kind of know, people come up to me and they go, man, you know, could you help me? Uh, you know, I want to understand the will of God for my life. And, and I tell them this, man, yeah, he has hit it. He's made it very, very difficult. You have to get the decoder ring. You have to figure out certain things because God doesn't, God, how? How foolish, when we really think about it, how foolish that question is. Man, I wish God would, don't you think that he's putting all kinds of things in front of you to show you his will? You just need to discover them. And I believe, listen, and I say this, and I know I make some people mad, and some of you are gonna turn me off right now because you can do that. Some of you are very, very thankful for the mute button right now, and you're going, this is how I like to do church, mute. Most of us, we don't want to know the, we, want, we say we want to know the will of God, but we really don't want to know the will of God because we're afraid. 
We're afraid of a couple things. Number one, some of us are afraid that God is gonna have us do something and show us something that we're gonna absolutely hate. And it cracks me up when people tell me that. You know, to me, that's just as absurd as thinking he's hiding it from you. Is that the kind of God you serve that is gonna trick you and hide things from you? Or the other one is, man, what if he makes me do something horrible? That's the kind of God you serve. All he wants to do is make your life as miserable as possible. That's his objective. That's not the God I serve. The God I serve tells me he loves me. He only has good for me. He only has the best for me. And listen, man, if I truly want to find the will of God, and there's a plethora of books out there. I bet you I've got eight books in my library on discovering the will of God for your life, finding the will of God for your life. Do you know the will of God for your life? Here is the will of God for your life, et cetera, et cetera. All the titles, you get all of those things, you read those books and you go, I don't know any more than I knew before. I'm a very simple guy. And some people, you know, they go, man, we thank you for being simple. And I tell them, I can't help it. <laughs> That's just who I am. I can't, I'm simple and I'm not, I can't fix that. But I believe this thing here, this book we have, I believe that's all we need for life and godliness. I believe that with all my heart. Well, number one, it tells me that. Number two, I believe that. If I, if I read this and believe it and follow it, hey, you know what, man? I am going to live life to its fullest because that's what it says. So how can I, how can I find, but people go, but I want this specific will of, of God for my life. How do I find that? Well, I know the simple way to do it. I don't know the complex way. I've, I haven't written a book. I haven't put all that together but I think I can tell you how to find the will of God for your life. In one simple step, begin to follow the revealed will in his word for your life. You see, some people call it the general will of God. I call it the revealed will of God. If you read your Bible, God has revealed his general will, his revealed will for life. And if we follow that, listen, if we begin to implement that into our life, you are gonna draw close to him and then he is going to speak to your heart and he's gonna show you the specific will for your life. I believe I discovered God's specific will for my life. I believe I'm walking in that. I believe I'm in the middle of that. And by the way, I think the safest place in the world is in the middle of his will, whether that is in a war zone or whether that is in the most hostile area ever or whether it's in Sierra Vista, Arizona. Hey, that is a good place. So I wrote down, listen, I wrote down just four places. I, I didn't do a complete study because we would be here for hours, but I wrote down four places that give us God's revealed will just to get us started. I just am trying to tease you and get you going and get you to think about it. Second Corinthians chapter eight, he says this, it is God's will that we yield our lives to him. So that's number one, just yield to him. Begin to trust him. Begin to give yourself to him and listen to him. That's God's will. And then according to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, here's a couple that, that might get us a little bit more, uh, 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 a little, quote, scary for some of us. It's God's will that we avoid sexual immorality. Are you sexually pure? Is your sexuality holy or not? 
It's so simple. And you begin, God's will is that you have a holy sexual life. And I'm going to give you a very simple definition for that. Any kind of sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage is sexual immorality. I've had people argue with me and say, that's not really, you know, blah, blah, blah. No, that's what it means. So we're to be pure sex, sexually in 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 5. How about this one during this time? All Christians should rejoice, pray, and thank God. Are you rejoicing right now? Some of you are saying, man, I don't have anything to rejoice in. Yeah, you do. You got a great God. He's in control. And this whole COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever we're calling it, you know, it's just driving me crazy how it keeps changing names. Whatever it is, listen, this whole thing, trust me, God is in heaven and he is not going, wow, I did not see that coming. He knows exactly what's going on. Trust him, trust him, rejoice in him. Pray and thank God for your life. And then the last one we're going to talk about just real simply, it's God's will that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a good start for you. You start following those. And in my life, I remember as a young Christian, someone, someone told me, just follow God's will that's revealed in his word. And then see, will, he will, through that, he will uh, open up to you and reveal to you his specific will for your life. That happened to me. I know God's will for my life. God's will for my life right now is to be where I'm at, teaching the Word of God in Sierra Vista, Arizona at Calvary Chapel. That's God's will for my life. I'm convinced of that. I'm not boasting about that. I'm not bragging about that. Uh, but I know that's God's will for my life. And you know what, man? That is so comforting when you know you're where God wants you to be and you have confidence in that. And I don't think it's arrogant to say, I think it's just confident. I'm confidently right now in God's will. And this is what, what James is talking about. Listen, instead of being that person who's, or that person who's saying, well, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to accomplish that. He goes, listen, why don't you just yield yourself to the will of God? Why don't you be a person who says, I am not doing that until I know that's the Lord's will for my life. And you begin to live that way, not tack it on to an end of a, a, a claim you're making, but begin to live that way. Hey, here's a great study. I love this, man. I did this in Bible college. I go back and look at the paperwork. Here's a great study, I think, in, in Scripture. Read First and Second Corinthians and you're going to have to read them several times and go through them several times. But sit on a separate piece of paper and write down every autobiographical remark that Paul makes about himself. When you do that through those two letters, you learn a lot about the Apostle Paul. One of the greatest things, and that's what helped me in discovering God's will for my life, is to listen to the Apostle Paul say, this is what God has called me to. I went, Wow. So that's not boasting to say God has called me to that. It's knowing that God has called me to that. So I would challenge you, sit and write that down. That may be a good exercise to help you out. But here's what he's saying, verse 15 again. He says, instead of saying you're going to go do this, saying you're going to go do that, you know, he says, you should be one who says, if it's the Lord's will, we shall live and do this or that. But verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Hey, you're a people, you're a people, you're a person who's boasting. Well, 
and you go, I can do this, I can do that. I'm amazed at what the Lord has let me do in my life. I, when I do the pottery presentation, I kind of talk about that. I'm amazed, I'm amazed that I've been able to go where I've gone to do and see and minister to the people I've ministered to. You know, I've pretty much gone around the world doing the pottery presentation. And again, not saying that to boast and look at me, but man, God has opened up those doors as I simply yielded my heart to him, believed him, and opened myself up to his will and following that for my life. And man, I, you know, I say it in a pottery presentation, I mean it with all my heart. If God can take this guy, remember, I'm from Bisbee. We in Bisbee, hey, when I was growing up, we thought, you know, if we got outside that tunnel, and got to Tucson, that was a big deal. If God has taken me and given me the ministry that he's allowed me, I know he can do it in every single life that's watching me right now. All you have to do is yield to him. Be willing to let him have control of your life and what you're doing. And then listen, man, and stop being this person that you're gonna boast and you're arrogant. Here's what he says, listen, God does not like arrogance. Now again, I think arrogance and confidence are two different things. Arrogance is you're boasting in yourself. Well, look what I did, look what I accomplished, look what, you know, and, and it's all about me, and you know what, do you know what I've done? I look at this fellowship and I'm amazed at what God has done in Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista. I pinch myself. I used to hear Pastor Chuck say that. Pastor Chuck used to say, man, I get up in the mornings and I look in the mirror and I pinch myself because I can't believe what God's doing. And I was a younger pastor and I used to think, sure you do. I bet. That's arrogance, right? Because I know better. And now, now here I am saying, it's kind of like when you hear, heard your dad say things and then now all of a sudden they're coming out of your mouth and you're wondering, how'd your dad get inside of you? Now I hear myself saying, I look in the mirror and I pinch myself and I think, yeah, there's some young guy out there going, sure you do, I bet you do. That's arrogance. Listen, man, you get to the place where you don't do that and here's what he says, all such boasting is evil. Evil, it's not good, you're being evil and then he wraps this up with therefore, right? Drawing a conclusion because he uses that word, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. Whoo! That's a heavy one. And some of you right now are saying, Pat, that's exactly why I don't read my Bible. Because if I'm ignorant, I'm not accountable. But if I read my Bible, now I'm accountable, and that's why I don't do it. Well, you know what? <laughs> Here's the thing. You just admitted you knew the good to do, and you're not doing it. Shame on you. Shame on you. This guy, I don't know how many know him, Edmund Burke, here's what he said. A lot of us know what he said, we may not know him. He said, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And that's what James is saying. You know what to do and you don't do it? Listen carefully, that is sin. It's sin, it's not a mistake, it's not a, oops. Here's what cracks me up with the theologians. You know the theologians, I, when I think of theologians, I think of the guys with the little patches on their, on their jackets, you know, and they have the, they have the like the, the, the big old pipes, 
and they're puffing around and they're always in a library setting and they got books all around them and, and, and these guys are always going, well, you know, you know, there are sins of commission and sins of omission. And here's what I say. I don't care what you put, title you put on them. They're all sin. And sin is sin in the sight of God. And listen, it's not any better to have a sin of omission than it is to have a sin of commission and something you do. Here, that's what James is saying. If you don't do it, man, you have sin. Listen carefully. Against a holy, righteous God. Sometimes we think of sin as just like making mistakes. Do you understand you've offended a holy, perfect, righteous God when you do that? Oh, I never thought of it that way, Pat. I'm gonna hit mute right now because I just don't like where this is going. It's a sin. And we need to understand that. Peter, here's, here's I, I love thinking about this. You know, like, like we hang out. As staff, we hang out together. And now as staff, that's all who we're hanging out with in, in the daytime. But, but you know, you hang out and, and we get to know each other and we kind of joke around. We have some good times. We have some hard times. We have some difficult times. But we're together. And, and you know, do you ever think of the first century church leaders that way? You know, like Peter and James. Here, here you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm in my Bible. I'm on the last page of James and Peter is the next one. And I'm about to quote Peter. And I think, I think of these two guys interacting. And, you know, oftentimes I think we have this idea. Peter and James walked around like this. Yes. And they had little halos happening, and, and they were just like all holy and stuff. I think they had good times together. I think they hassled each other. I think they, you know, they were on top of each other. And yet they're, they're different personalities as, we, as we've seen. But man, you know, you, James has one personality. Now listen to what Peter says. Here's what Peter says about the guy who knows what to do and doesn't do it. You think James is harsh? Listen to Pete. Here's what Pete says. He says, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and turned from the holy commandment delivered to them. He's saying, man, it would be better to not know it than to know it and ignore it. They're both saying the same thing. And so saints, we've read four chapters in the book of James together. Are you doing them? Or do you kind of come to church sort of like you do school? You sit here on Sunday, you get it, it gets in your head, maybe some of it drifts down into your heart, and then by Wednesday or Thursday, you're dumping it. And then you go on to the next topic. And you go on to the next one. And you just get, dump, and go. Get, dump, and go. Here's what James is saying, man. I think verse 17 is about everything he's talked about so far. Not just 11 through 17 as it's bracketed off kind of in my Bible. I think verse 17 is about everything. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. Are you doing those things? We have an example. Listen, we have examples in the Bible. I'm just going to give us a couple examples of people who knew the good to do and didn't do it. The first one, Lot. Lot knew to do good. He had Uncle Abe, right? And Abe would go to Lot and he'd go, hey, dude, come on. And Lot says, look, Uncle Abe, I got all this stuff and you got all that stuff and there's not room for both of us. So we're gonna have to divvy up this promised land you got. This is Pat's paraphrase. And Abe goes, okay. 
And I love, listen, man, you talk about a guy who could handle confrontation. We can learn a lot from Abraham. What does Abraham do? Abraham does this. He goes, okay, you got it all together, nephew? You choose where you want to go, and I'll go the other way. Don't you love that? He's the uncle. He's the one in charge. He's the one who got the promise. And he goes, hey, you choose. I'll go the other way. And then we know Lot's choice was really, really bad. And he ends up in Sodom. He knew the good to do, but he didn't do it. And we know the mess that he made of his life. Oh, and then let's up it a little bit. Let's go to somebody who everybody admires in the Bible. King David. David knew the good to do. He didn't do it. Decided to have an affair. Decided to murder somebody because of the affair. I mean, that whole thing, man, that thing just escalates into, into such a mess. I think, man, David, you couldn't have done much worse if you would have planned this from the start. And then what does it do to his family? Destroys his family. Because he knew the good to do, but he didn't do it. And then one of my favorite characters... Jonah, the first submarine operator. Think of that well. I always think of the fish. I don't know why I think of the fish. I think of this fish as like, like just being a fish or whale or mammal or whatever it was. I don't want to get into all of the etymology and using the wrong word and blah, 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 blah. But whatever that was, it swallowed him. You know, I always think of this, this fish is, or, you know, fish is swimming along and he's like, He's like thinking, I'm just like a fish. I'm having fun. I'm going to go on vacation. And God goes, no, you're not going to go on vacation. I got a job for you. Well, what do you want me to do? I want you to swallow this guy. He's going to, they're going to throw him overboard. I want you to just open your mouth, swallow him, and take him to Nineveh. Okay, well, I've always wanted to see Nineveh. So, okay, we'll do that. And Jonah, Jonah, listen, Jonah knew the good to do. He disobeyed. He almost cost all those sailors their lives. And then they throw him overboard. The fish pukes him up on the shores of Nineveh. And then here's what cracks me up. He kind of like, and wakes up and he's in Nineveh. He goes, wow, I guess I better, I guess I better do what God told me to do, but I'm not going to do it very happily. And it's a, it's a horrible story, right? So you got Jonah. So here's my question to us. Are you going to be a Lot or a David or a Jonah? Or are you going to be a Paul, a Peter, a James? You see, I think it's important. And I, for one, I do want to know God's will for my life. Because I know that's the best possible life I could ever have. And I know if I discover God's will for my life, I am going to live life to its fullest. Didn't Jesus say, I've come to give you life? And that abundantly? I want abundant life. I I love, I love life. I even love life in the midst of the coronavirus or whatever we're calling this. Why? Because it's life. I'm even kind of liking doing church this way, although I really miss you guys. I wish you were sitting here. It'd be so much more fun. And this is a challenge. We can meet this challenge. We can go through it for a while. It's getting, it's wearing thin, but we'll make it. We'll live through it. But don't you love life? I love life. And you know what? I'm not going to let the enemy rip me off for my life. I'm not going to let my flesh rip me off. I'm not going to let the modern world rip me off. I want to follow God. And I think God has allowed me to do incredible things. But listen carefully. 
It ain't over yet. I know some people want to push old guys aside, but it ain't over yet. I'm not done. I'm going for it. And you and I need to understand, man, let's, let's go forward, church. We have an opportunity. I think we have one of the greatest opportunities in front of us that hasn't happened for generations. And we have an opportunity to exalt the name of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And this thing that's messing with our world and messing with things we say, listen, messed up people need Jesus. And now we have an opportunity to be Jesus to those people and give them the gospel and watch. I, I, I've, I've kept up a little bit with Greg glory. He's kind of thinking, this is gonna be the revival that we haven't seen for a long time. Hey, we pray for God to do a mighty move and then he starts something like the coronavirus maybe and we're going, and we're crying and whining and I had all these plans. I had verse 11, I had all these plans, I had this stuff and look what happened. Yeah, because you don't know what tomorrow brings, but here's what I think. Man, we have an opportunity. We need to take advantage of this opportunity. So let's do that, church. Let's make a, let, you know, let's make a covenant together. Let's rise up and let's be the church in the middle of all of this. Hey, let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word. And Lord, that as, as James just kind of comes and hits us upside the head and, and, and really challenges us, I, I pray, Lord, that we would step up. I pray for dads all over that are listening to me right now. I pray they would step up. I pray for moms to be those, those, those moms that lead their children in some, in some significant ways, Lord, just as families are gathered together, use us and build us strong. And God, use us in our neighborhoods, use us in our extended families. Lord, we may not be able to get together face by face, but we have the technology here today that we can get together with people. We've got different ways. We've got Skype. We've got Zoom. We've got, we've got FaceTime. We've got all of these ways that we can communicate with people without having to physically be present. And praise God for that. Let's use that to spread the gospel. And Lord, I pray. I know, I know some listening to me right now, they're hurting. They're desperate. They're not sure what tomorrow's going to bring. Jesus, I pray right now you would touch those hearts. I pray right now that you would become so real to those individuals or those families that they would know and understand, God, that you haven't forgotten them. You haven't buried them in some place. They may be having to social distance, but the great thing is God doesn't know anything about social distancing. We talked about it last week. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I pray for those individuals right now. Bless them. If those people and the people who are hurting financially and, and, and et cetera, Lord, just work in their lives in a way that they would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are. And God, those who are hurting emotionally, touch them. I pray that friends and family can reach out and, and encourage them. The people who are having a difficult time physically, God, heal them, be with them. Again, Lord, I pray that we would learn to 
no matter what area we're in, no matter what is going on, that we would learn to rely on our God and to trust our God. Lord, let this not just be sayings, but let it be truth in our life. And I'm gonna ask you to just keep an attitude of prayer. If you know Jesus, man, start praying right now for anybody who may not know Jesus. And today, if you're tuned in on this, maybe you happened on it on Facebook, maybe somebody shared it with you, maybe even happened on our website. I'm not sure you would have our app if you don't know Jesus, but maybe, but listen, man, if God has spoken to your heart right now and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna challenge you, today is the day of salvation. Maybe mom or dad are making you watch, or maybe your son and daughter are making you watch. But hey, if you do not have that relationship right now, Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. My Bible teaches us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone, everyone has sinned. There's nobody without sin except Jesus Christ. And the wages of sin is death, separation from God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus came, lived a sinless life, but then went to the cross, so to speak, took your sin upon himself, and he paid that price. Not so much the physical death, although that's part of it, but he was also paid that separation from God. He took the punishment that you deserve, took it upon himself, and now today, he is offering you a receipt that says, your sins are paid for, they're paid in full. All you have to do is take it. So my challenge to you is grab a hold of that receipt right now. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. That's how you're gonna grab a hold of it. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer after me. I'm gonna encourage you to say it out loud because some of you are watching where nobody's at and if it's even somebody there, say it out loud. Say this prayer out loud. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Jesus, right now I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. I'm sorry that I've offended you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you right now for your forgiveness. I want you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey. If you said that prayer here with us today, I wanna to encourage you, let us know. You can let us know uh, by uh, the message on, uh, on uh, Facebook. You can text us at 520-210-3678. If you need prayer, hey, text us and let us know. If you need some help, text us and let us know. We have this number, 520-210-3678. We have that set up for that.